with souls bearing in Good morning. This is Ellie Newman, and you're listening to It's Relationship. My guest today is Panache Desai, contemporary thought leader, spiritual teacher, and author of Discovering Your Soul Signature, a 33-day path to purpose, passion, and joy. Welcome, Panache, and thank you for joining me. Thanks. It's great to be here with you. I've been extremely excited to have this conversation. I've been having one side of it in my head for the last few days. <laughs> I'd like to start this conversation morning of talking about the path, and then a little later we'll talk about your path, if that's all right with you. Sure. All right. The book's first words are, before you even get beyond the jacket, an invitation to change the energy that surrounds you. Find the harmony that comes with self-acceptance, and in the process, discover your life's purpose and the boundless possibilities that await you. What was your goal for writing this book? Did you have a specific intention at the time? Not really. You know, I think that um, in my mind, the last thing the world needed was another self-help book. But what there was space for was a how-to practical guide where people could actually go on a journey every day. It was just three minutes in length, you know, once in the morning, once in the afternoon, and once in the evening. It would authentically guide them back to themselves. I think very rarely um, are people fully given back to themselves. And I know that that's been my greatest honor is to give people back to themselves and to let them know that they're not broken, they don't need healing, and they don't need fixing, they don't need a teaching, that actually when they begin to know themselves beyond their five senses and their body and their mind, and they begin to relate to themselves as their soul, all of a sudden, everything that they've been looking for begins to come into being in a way that is greater than they could ever imagine. And so for me, the, the sole purpose in writing this book was to express this um, in the form of words and also in the form of energy, because I wholeheartedly believe that the book carries its own energy and it serves as a reminder of this greater eternal truth, that who we are at our core is love. And I'm wondering what, what went into then deciding on the format of the book, because since you didn't want to write the typical self-help book, and this is clearly very different, was that a very conscious choice? I noticed that the in the evening sections, when I first started reading, I noticed there was a very lyrical, pulsing quality in many of those sections that I found were very unique and, again, energetically sort of moving in a different way that's not typical. Was that conscious? Absolutely. I think that, you know, the deepest of truths can be delivered in, with simplicity. And one of the things that I was really cognizant of, you know, in, in bringing this book into being was that, quite frankly, we just don't have the time anymore to sit there and read chapter and verse and so if people could access the truth in digestible pieces every single day, then the simplicity of that message would begin to unleash a profound transformation within them. Because in truth, you see, this message of love and acceptance has been conveyed throughout the ages. We're naturally encoded for goodness and greatness. And so when someone's reminded of that, and they're reminded of these other aspects of who they are, they start to live in alignment with that. And that's why this book is formatted in the way that it is. It's not just me talking to somebody. I want people to experience this for themselves, to put the principles into practice in their lives so that they can begin to own them and know it to be the truth of who they are. And so with that, what would be sort of the most, at the most simplistic level, the message that you want people to come away with from the book? There's no part of you that's wrong. There's no part of you that's a mistake. There's no part of you that's broken. And actually, it's only ever the judgment of these different aspects of who you are that creates and perpetuates suffering in your life. If you were to actually stop fighting against your design and you were to actually start to sit still and start to embrace 
every aspect of who you are as a blessing, the light and luminosity, the love that's always lived within you would begin to shine through. Literally, your personality would align with your soul. And at that point, the power of your soul, your spirit, love, whatever word you want to use, would begin to inform every area of life and living. And so then you had to backtrack from that and figure out, okay, how can I write a book that is, you know, not a typical self-help book where they aren't going to get to that message, but how can I format it in a way where they are, by the end of this, going to be able to more than just hear that message, but to really understand it and be in a place where they can live it? Well, I'm a firm believer in embarking on journeys, you know, and I also recognize that none of us have ended up where we are um, overnight. And so I just thought, you know, how nice would it be to embark on a 33-day journey? Uh, and then the most important journey of all, a journey in which we get to know who we are and we get to experience who we are because self-acceptance is the precursor to self-love. And if we can actually begin to source our life from a foundational platform of self-acceptance, at that point, the love that innately and organically is a part of us that's naturally there begins to shine through. And so that's the magic of this, that it's a progression, it's a journey. We go on an adventure together and we go on an adventure of self-discovery and self-actualization that, that the, by the end of it has you embodying more love and more acceptance than you ever have before. And it also seemed like you were offering yourself as a guide and sort of a companion through the journey down the path. Did you mm. feel that uh, being in that position as you were writing it? Well, actually, that's how I am all the time. You know, I, I, don't, see, um, I don't see this as being anything other than a friend reminding a friend of who they are. And for me, that's the only way that, in truth, this has worked is, you know, because in oneness, there's no hierarchy. That, you know, we're all just in this together. We're all, you know, reminding each other. We're all supporting each other. We're, we're all in this spiritual partnership or this spiritual union with each other. And for me, you know, that's been the emphasis of my whole life is to just be there as a friend, to serve as a reminder, as long as you need reminding. And then when you don't, you know, you'll go off and you'll live your life and it will, it will flourish as, as, you know, as I've seen evidence you know, in the lives of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that I've had the pleasure of, of um, being with. And so for me, the new paradigm is no hierarchy. There's no teacher. There's no student. There's no one higher. There's no one lower. It's just meeting as equals in the space of the heart with a complete embracing of all that we are as we are. That's freedom. So, so let's talk a little bit about how you get to that place where you don't need any reminders. Um, you say, our job is to be the full expression of ourselves and our connection to the divine. So it's all divine. Mm -hmm. Can you explain a little bit more about what that, may, that experience may uh, feel like? Well, the, the best way that I can do that is to share how I experience the divine. And um, you know, it's one of the chapters in the book. And for me... Everything in my life was born of personal experience. Um, prior to this experience, I've been told my whole life that I was here to do something, that I was here to facilitate a shift in consciousness. And I had always, in my own mind, uh, exclaimed uh, <laughs> out loud, uh, why me? You know, why on earth would the divine uh, pick me? And at this point, you know, I'm still a very young man. And so... And Panache, in, in literal ways, I mean, the people in your lives that you encountered yeah. were saying that to you. Yeah, it was uncanny because, you know, when you're Indian, on the weekends you go watch Bollywood movies and you go and see gurus. It's just what you do. Mm -hmm. And so every single guru that we would go and see would say, you have my blessing. We've been waiting for you. Thank you for incarnating. 
<laughs> yes. So strange. That, that's got to have a, a really awesome side and kind of a frightening side. Cool. Nice to meet you. I'm glad to be here. And also, whoa, I'm pretty little. That's pretty big. Yeah, it, it was actually just weird um, for most of my uh -huh. life. And I never knew. I didn't fully know what they meant, nor was I willing to fully embody what they meant. So I always say that, you know, I was lovingly hidden away in this Indian family um, for the first 21 years of my life so that I could live an existence that was normal. Um, however, of course, it wasn't. You know, I was feeling everything and everybody. I knew everything about everybody. Um, things were happening around me that I couldn't reconcile. And so and I got to a point... Were you having any guys during that time to help you deal with that? To kind of separate no, what was yours versus what was other people's and how to kind of balance your authentic self with their energies? No, because there's no way of reconciling that because nobody in my reality was living that. So okay. there wasn't really even anyone that I could talk to. This was just way beyond what anyone else had even experienced, even in my family. And so, you know, I'd gotten to a point where um, I just called out God, whatever that is, because, you know, again, I was very skeptical. And if I, if I couldn't experience it for myself, then it wasn't true. I wasn't willing to take on other people's assumptions or projections about what certain things are. And so I just said, you know what, if you're real and you exist and I'm indeed here to be a messenger, then prove it to me. And uh, in that moment, it's like all this fear and this sadness and this anger started to wash through me. And the more it did, um, the more I started to feel this light and this luminosity and it just kept going on and going on and going on. I have to say it was completely disconcerting. Um, I literally felt like I was dying um, to the point where when it got to a reasonable hour, I called a friend of mine who's a shaman, because when at this point I was in L.A., and when you live in L.A., you have a shaman on speed dial. And I said, um, you know, can you tell me what's happening to me? And he said, well, you're dying. And I said, great, you know, I'm 20, I'm 20, like, this was like 2002, so I'm like 23, right? And I'm sitting there, and he says, I'm dying. And he says, you can resist what's happening to you, or you can accept it. Either way, there's a part of you that needs to die in order for you to be who you're here to be. And of course, I understand now that what he was talking about was a psychological death. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I found another friend of mine who's a llama. And of course, when you're in LA, you have a llama on speed dial too. And uh, he was this really chubby, cute llama. And he kind of reminded me of those Buddha statues where they have really big bellies and they have their hands up in the air with a big smile on their yeah. face. So that's the kind of llama he was. And he would say, he just said to me, he said, you know what? He said, I've never met anyone like you. He said, quite honestly, the amount of light that you have in you, um, I've never experienced before. And he said, the fact that you're going through this just means that you're here to do something that's really going to benefit humanity in a, in a profound way. And so, you know, at that point, I could kind of relax into it, to allow for this death. And it culminated in that complete experience of what the divine is. And the divine really is just this infinite ocean of energy with no beginning and no end. And this energy vibrates at this resonance of love. And there's no judgment. There's no criteria. There's nothing that we have to do. Uh, I was completely embraced and accepted for who I was. And um, as a result of that, I realized that all of the prerequisites that we've created are actually man-made. That in truth, as we are right now, we are loved in our totality. And then in truth, all we have to reconcile then is everything within us that has us believing that we're not. And the more we begin to accept... Is that all enough. we have to do, just that tiny piece? Well, you know, it's really not that complicated. Because, And here's why it's not, because when we realize that it's an inside job, mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to navigate. 
it, you see, right now, the reason why it's so challenging for so many people is because they actually fundamentally believe that they need to deal with the people around them to get to a state of approval, love and acceptance externally so that they can validate who they are internally. And that doesn't work. The very second you realize that you need to flip that lens on yourself and start to accept and embrace who you are internally, it's like literally, if you come into a place of acceptance and love within yourself, all of creation will love you. And that's the opportunity here. That's the blessing here. Is to actually start to embrace all that we are in our totality. Because in truth, the being that made us, you can use whatever name you want to use, loves and accepts us for who we are as we are. And Panash, did you find it difficult at all to hold on to that space that you created in that experience? I was watching your Awakening film 2005 and Jim Carrey was talking about, in a, a comic manner, as, as typical, the wave and how he had sort of felt it and he was desperately trying to find it again and stay on it. Was there any of that there for you of, of kind of coming back to it and, and going away from it again? Well, for six months after that, I just lived in a state of absolute bliss. And uh, actually, it was very hard for me to function. I, um, it was literally like being a newborn baby and uh, learning to navigate my world again. And um, the difference with me was that it, I knew that it wasn't the case of holding on. I knew that it was a case of really embracing uh, my humanity and everything that I'd been told was wrong or bad about me. Because the more I did that, the more that state and that presence and that energy that lives within me could shine through me. And so, and also it was at that point where after about six months where this formal kind of identity was put on me of spiritual teacher, contemporary thought leader. Um, and again, people were coming to see me, but it's just now I knew what was happening consciously because I could, it's like in that moment when I had that experience, my whole life made sense. And all of these things that I couldn't reconcile through the lens of my mind, I could now fully embrace in the infinite expansiveness of my heart. And so I was able to, from that moment on, consciously be a vessel through which this was happening. I still wasn't doing it. It's just that there was a level of awareness around what was happening through me and what was, what was uh, wanting to um, be permeated through me into this world to the people that were around me. And so was there a moment when you were thinking, okay, now what? Or were you then just sort of waiting for the, the what to come? I'm kind of thinking about the time between that moment and the next big leap, uh, being on Oprah's couch, like, did you consciously decide, okay, now I realize, and so I'm going to go out and start doing it, and what does that look like? Or did things just begin to happen that l were continuing to lead you down that path? And it's the easiest way to answer that question was I stepped into this synchronicity, and the synchronicity was so profound and so impossible to reconcile that I knew it was taking me somewhere great. Like all of a sudden I was meeting people and people were meeting me and things were happening. So I never had a goal. It was never my goal to be anywhere or to do anything or to sit next to Oprah. Um, I just continued to be myself and seemingly that in and of itself has been all I've ever needed to be. And in my willingness to embody that, uh, all of these people that I've, I've wanted to meet or that I've needed to meet as a part of my greater evolution of coming to my life without me even trying. Let's talk about that for a minute. You know, the honesty and truly following your feelings in the moment and your intuition. 
Um, I remember a friend of mine saying, okay, I'm going to try that for a day, you know, just a single day and kind of calling me at the end of the day and say, you know, that's really hard. You've got society kind of pushing you and pulling you in these different ways, friends pushing you and pulling you in these different ways, these ideas in your head saying, you know, that doesn't make any sense. You shouldn't be doing that. You should be doing this. You can get a lot of heat from people that are in your life. Did you find it challenging at all? No, I really didn't because I think you just get to a point where you just don't care anymore. And not caring means not having an attachment to a particular outcome. You know, I've always known that I wasn't here to be liked. That ultimately I was here to be who I'm here to be and that that would land however it landed. And that, in truth, that was none of my business. And maybe people would understand what that is or they'd experience it. Maybe they wouldn't, but ultimately it didn't matter. Just my willingness to embody everything that I am was enough. And so... You know, I, I, it's been an interesting adventure for me because, you know, in a very short period of time, um, I've quickly um, evolved at a rate that is unprecedented and had experiences where when you look at the conventional trajectory of a person who's in this field or in the genre, what's happened in my life is absolutely unprecedented and uncanny in comparison to other people's journeys. But again... That's because I've been willing to be myself above and beyond everything else. That it's not about appeasing my reality around me, but it's about living in harmony and peace with myself, however I'm showing up in every moment. So you described your early environment as a pristine vibrational one in your book. Could you describe a little more about what that means to you? And do you think that that gave you sort of the bedrock with which to then take the place in the world of, of being so w willing to and able to follow your inner guide? You know, my grandmother and my mother have always known who I was. And I was so blessed to be able to spend the first five years of my life with my grandmother. And my grandmother, her sole focus was on devotion and love and service. And in my house, we grew up with pictures of everybody because, quite honestly, we realized that the divine was infinite and that every messenger and every being who ever spoke on behalf of the divine was actually someone that was to be revered and respected. And so the first five years of my life, this pristine vibration and environment was one of just love and devotion. It's the love and devotion that you feel sometimes when you walk into a church. It's the love and devotion sometimes that you feel when you walk into a temple or a synagogue. It's the love and devotion that you feel where people's hearts are open and they're focused on something greater than themselves. It's a sacredness. It's a um, foundational truth, a reality that we all share, that we just all articulate in different ways. And so absolutely the first five years of my life played a major role and influence in the rest of my life because I think that during our formative years, that which we are exposed to and that which becomes the normal um, pretty much becomes the normal for the rest of our existence. And for me, I was lucky enough to have a grandmother who would pray every day. I grew up in an environment that was sacred. I grew up in an environment where incense permeated every single nook and cranny of my home and where love was the sole reason for being. The, recognize, the, you know, the conscious recognition, even to the extent where the conscious recognition that even if my uncle came home at 11 o'clock at night with his friends, my grandmother would get out of bed and cook them food because she realized that the divine had come to our house. 
I'm sitting with that for a second, which you shouldn't really do on radio, but I am. Um, everyone listening will do the same. I want to go back now a little bit for those of us who are still on the path and, and headed down. Often the voice of, of intuition and desire and our, our authentic self have quieted so much because we didn't grow up in that environment. And it's almost to a point sort of an inaudible whisper. For others, you can definitely hear the whisper. But since it hasn't been honored for so long, it's just so quiet. Do you have a sense of sort of how people can get it to speak up again and be able to um, hear it more clearly? Yeah, stop listening to the people around you and start listening to yourself. You know, uh, your friend can call you with one of the most challenging problems and seemingly in that moment, you'll have the exact wisdom that they need to hear. Well, if you can be that for the people, then why can't you be that for yourself? So what I would like to say is that that voice of wisdom is inherently present in everybody. And it's up to us now to stop listening to these external voices and to start focusing on that voice within us. So much so that that becomes our guiding principle and our guiding light. Because ultimately, when we follow that, and when we heed that call, our life improves. Like I know for me, you know, when I first started doing these programs and doing these talks and everything, like when I listened to what was coming out of my own mouth in the form of wisdom for other people, my life improved. And so I wholeheartedly realized that this entire expression, everything that I'm doing, is for me to remember in my totality who I am because I'm the only person that needs to hear what's coming out of my mouth. And when I listen to it and I act on it, my life improves in ways that I cannot articulate in words. So is it really kind of at the basic element, a matter of courage and trust to say, okay, I'm going to jump and I'm going to trust this, even if it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm going to trust that voice. And then you start to see evidence from the external world that actually it, it does, it's leading you where you want to go. Is, is that what you would say is underneath what gets people to take that leap or that baby step? Yeah, and ultimately we have to, you know, start embracing all the fearful aspects of ourselves so that we can trust, you know, and, and that's being aware of them. And that's ultimately coming to a place of acceptance when we're in the midst of them. And doing that, we stop feeding them. So eventually these fearful aspects of ourselves begin to almost dissolve until all that's left is this transparency where just the, the light of your soul, the presence that lives within you, love, whatever name you want to use, just begins to shine through you. At that point, your life becomes instinctive or spontaneous. It's not predetermined. It's not pre-qualified. There's no need to understand anymore because you're acting in accordance with something greater than you in the same way that everything in nature is. And so it's, it's a coming back to naturally who we are because all of this is naturally who we are. And in order to do that, we must start to peel away everything that is false that we've taken on as a truth, but that really isn't. So let's talk about that a little more. That would be, you know, what you described as the um, suppressed energy and the vibrational density. Can you explain that, uh, those, just those terms a little more? Yeah. So our soul exists on the subtlest level of energy. So every single human being has one, but very few people will live in conscious communion or connection with their soul for that reason. The layer beyond the soul is the emotional layer. And this is where really we have to place our focus. And, and this emotional layer constitutes all of the tears that we didn't cry, all of the anger that we didn't allow ourselves to experience, 
and all of the fear that we didn't allow ourselves to feel. This layer then informs the unconscious mind, which then in turn informs the conscious mind, which then in turn informs the body. So when we look at how life is actually being interpreted or how life is unfolding and what the origin of pain and suffering in truth is, it's this unresolved layer of emotion, which I basically see as energy in motion. It wants to move, it's just that we won't let it move. And so in time, anger, when it's repressed or suppressed, becomes rage. Sadness over time becomes depression and fear just becomes completely unmanageable and unworkable. So it's up to us to come back to a feeling space, to go beyond our conditioning, to go beyond what society expects of us, and to just start to authentically once again develop this level of emotional intelligence and awareness so that when we are triggered by life, when someone does say something that upsets you, instead of reacting in that moment, we can consciously take some breaths, begin to feel where it is in our bodies and allow for that anger or allow for that sadness to wash through us. Thus, we break the cycle. And in breaking the cycle inside of us, by being consciously aware of our humanity, being consciously aware of what happens when we're triggered, we begin to, in that way, stop contributing to the greater pain quotient of the planet and of the universe. Literally, we, we get to be the change by just simply taking a stand for love and peace within ourselves. So I want to focus a little bit about how the idea of triggers as opportunities fit in with that, with our opportunities for growth. And when we are having experiences outside of ourselves that seem to be triggering these emotional responses. Well, you know, if you want to go on spiritual retreat, then just take the most annoying person in your life away for a week and stay in the same room as them and spend every waking moment with them and let them push every button uh, that you believe that you have and feel the pain that's underneath. Because in doing so, in being available to experience the sadness and being available to experience the anger and being available to experience the fear, naturally that density and that heaviness will begin to lift. And so... I've learned to run towards people that trigger me. And I've learned to run, yeah. Oh, no, no, go ahead. So, you know, we, we as human beings fundamentally avoid discomfort or uncomfortable situations. What I'm saying is that to really evolve, you have to be willing to be uncomfortable all the time. <laughs> it's, it's not about being comfortable. What you're looking for patiently awaits you on the other side of your comfort zone. And what keeps you in your comfort zone is fear. So you have to be willing to consciously face and experience your fear to get to what's really there. Because in this, in this paradigm, fear, for example, almost acts like a membrane. And what, what's, in, what's encapsulated in that membrane is the sadness or the, or the anger. And so it's important that we begin to learn to feel our fear, to experience our fear, to run towards it, to consciously begin to explore it and examine it. Because what you'll find every single time that you do that is more pain that you haven't experienced sadness, anger, whatever that is. And the more you do that, the more spaciousness opens up, the more love opens up, the more health opens up, the more abundance opens up from within us. And to when we're experiencing it, just be, for instance, when we're with that annoying person on a retreat, to just be yeah. absolutely 100% with those feelings. Exactly. And let them go through our entire bodies, every cell, and then let them go out. They want to go out. The, the truth is, your sadness and your anger doesn't want to be in you as much as you don't want it. It's just we're hoarders. We accumulate. We're afraid. We're afraid to know ourselves in the absence of our pain because that's all we've known for so long. 
what we've known is pain and suffering, even though that isn't normal, and even though it's fundamentally exhausting. And so what we have to do is cultivate the courage to know ourselves in the absence of our stories and in the absence of our pain by willing to experience it when it arises and to let it move through you because your sadness doesn't want to be. Your sadness is just like, God, say, just cry. Let me out of here. No offense, but I'd rather be, you know, once again reunited with the infinite source of energy that I came from. I've been stuck in you for 50 years. Let's just get on with it. Just sort of a communication that wants to be heard. Exactly. It's all... It's all, uh, it's all something that wants to be seen and experienced. Everything, everything in truth just wants to be seen and experienced. So why would that be any different for your pain? And so I'm wondering if sometimes when you're working with people, if this can get a little tricky in trying to impart um, this communication to them as far as the balance between sort of personal power and responsibility and blame and shame and sort of, you know, if we are 100% responsible then for our existences and our experiences, well then, oh, we have to sort of accept, you know, we can't go around blaming others as we've spent a great deal of time in our culture doing. Um do people get that uh, yeah. pretty clearly, or, or is that something people are sort of can get stuck around? Well, let's just say that the people who aren't addicted to drama get it very clearly, mm-hmm. and the people who are addicted to drama have a harder time letting go of it. But ultimately, you know, we're in the middle of this evolutionary curve right now, and we're going through it consciously or unconsciously. It's almost like whether you want to have a look at these parts of yourself or not, you're being made to. And so at that point, it's better to just consciously wave the white flag and just be available (laughs) for these parts of ourselves than to be dragged into your highest expression, kicking and screaming by the scruff of your neck. Better to listen to the whisper than the two by four. Exactly. And so the other part of that when you were talking that I thought could maybe get tricky with people is the idea that, because this is clearly not what you were saying, but I thought, well, it could maybe for some be heard this way, that maybe seeking out negative, you know, quote-unquote negative or unpleasant or unhappy or fearful or very challenging experiences is sort of necessary for growth and for um, being your true self, where there's sort of a tricky balance there as well. Because if you hear the message when it's at a whisper, you're not going to get knocked by the two by four. Is that is that accurate? That's exactly right. I mean, if you can just be in the presence of someone that upsets you and just breathe and relax, you'll feel everything that you have to experience inside of you. And then it's like the mirror smashes. And the more you begin to realize that this is just like one giant hole of mirrors, and the more you begin to recognize that what you're really seeing is yourself, just distorted, based on based on the conjecture of the of the mirror at that point you begin to be a hundred percent accountable and responsible because you realize that it's all about what's going on inside of you it's never about what someone else says or does and that's the only place where we can truly be empowered because as long as it's about someone else or what someone else says or does at that point it's almost like we have a codependent relationship with empowerment and that doesn't work and so literally what i've experienced is that the more I'm willing to just be in the midst of whatever's going on, the mirror smashes, and every mirror begins to smash until there just aren't any mirrors left anymore. Do you think it's scary for some people to, to hear that and, and feel that what's left is, is themselves, their true selves, that having not grown up in an environment possibly where their true self was loved and honored? You know, is that something for some people that can be a challenge? I think that that's the one thing that we're most afraid to be, yeah. 
but but ultimately, I think again, you know, we're at an evolutionary curve where we just don't have any choice anymore but to be that. And I say that because it's becoming far too painful for you not to be who you are anymore. And where do you think, where other than with your family, because at that point you were an adult, you had been, you know, sort of in a very different environment when you had this experience this New Year's Eve, where do people find that support for either internally or externally for believing that their true selves are divine? The only place where it can authentically come from is from someone who's really experienced themselves and from someone who's done a deep dive into themselves. That's the only place where it can authentically come from. It can't come from anywhere else. It's like when you're in the presence of someone who's, who's done a deep dive into who they are and who's lovingly uh, flipped over every, every stone and flipped, looked in every nook and cranny of who they are, you know, there's a light that permeates from them. There's a presence that emanates from them. They don't really even have to say a word. And then that's when you know you're in the presence of the truth. That's when you know you're in the presence of somebody who can remind you of who you are without even saying a word. It's like their presence communicates it far louder than language ever could. And so that's how you know. And sometimes that is captured in the form of a book. Sometimes it's captured in the form of a CD. Sometimes that essence is captured in the form of other outlets and mediums that remind you when you come into contact with them, that you're in the presence of something that is real, something that is true, something that's rooted in love. Do we have to, as well as shedding the vibrational density, do we have to shed the beliefs that we've acquired along the way to hold these emotions and feelings into place? Is there a relationship among the, the knowing, sort of reading the, your book and knowing it intellectually, and then sort of allowing our feelings to come up, where do our beliefs come into play with that relationship? Well, your beliefs are absolutely um, a byproduct of your feeling. And so, you know, right now in the current transformational model, we have it asked backwards because the current transformational model says our thoughts create our reality. They don't, thank God. Just imagine if your every thought became real, you'd be screwed. And, and then I also feel sorry for the people around you. But in truth, we can actually begin to understand that our belief systems are held in place by our um, unwillingness to feel our fear and unwillingness to feel our pain, that actually that's the construct of it all. Until we begin to feel it and experience it at that point, our soul and that infinite potential becomes the construct of it all. And so freedom is found through cultivating the courage to turn and face our pain and recognizing that in truth it is that that is keeping the beliefs in place. It's, it's that that's keeping the, the patterns of thought in place. It's all emanating from this energetic layer, this emotional layer. Everything stems from this place. Until it's integrated, at that point, everything stems from the fullness of your spirit. And at that point, it's almost like you become superhuman. It's funny because it really is the thinking about it visually, and it really is the glue because if it's if you are working at it in a traditional method and you're looking at your beliefs and you're like, okay, I believe I'm not good enough or I don't deserve more good, if you have even one tiny drop of the emotional glue that's still holding that belief in place, it's impossible to shed that belief until you have cleared that vibrational density. Well, and, and also, you know, what part of you believes that that's true, your soul or your identity? You see, so when even when you say, you know, I 
you know, I believe that to be true, well, on the level of your soul, there's no belief. So on the level of who you are as a whole and complete being, that isn't even a reality. The only place where that even comes into factors into your experience is on the level of your identity. So do you have a, a process um, that you could describe in a little more depth as to how to allow letting go of something that, that is there and, and limiting? Sure. I, I think the first thing to do is um, to recognize that all, all that's required is to accept what's happening inside of us. So, for example, if someone says something that upsets you, just instead of reacting, just take some deep breaths, just relax your body, and start to get present to what is going on inside of you. You'll literally start to feel something in your body. And the more you can relax, and the more you can just give it your attention, and the more you can just breathe, the more this sadness or this anger or whatever it is will just wash through you. That's one thing. The second thing is to rest in the awareness of your breath. To just simply turn your life into a living meditation. And for me, you know, meditation has become almost too prescriptive in our modern world. If we can actually just rest in the awareness of our breath, and at that point, literally, our life becomes a living meditation. And then, then what happens is, in those moments where we used to be reactive, a choice is born. Instead of just reacting, we can respond. And we can choose to, instead of, you know, doing what we normally do on the level of our personality to navigate life, we can actually start to come from love, come from our soul, come from our entirety, the completeness, the wholeness that we are. The more we do this, the more naturally that becomes our new normal and our new way of being. And that's not to say that life isn't going to happen and you're not, you're not going to have a moment of forgetfulness. You will. But the more you commit to living in this energy of love, to living your soul's expression, to living your soul's signature, the more you become aware. And once you're aware at that point, you can't go back anymore. It's very hard to put yourself into that box of limitation anymore. And that's empowerment. That's empowerment. Empowerment is that moment. Empowerment literally is that three to ten seconds between reactivity, between trigger and reactivity. That's the window. That's the window. That's when you get to break the patterns of habitual behavior or addictive patterns or the need to manipulate or dominate. That's where it ends in those, in that 10 second window between when you're triggered and when you react. That's the golden window right there. So that's where you need to relax and breathe and just pay attention and just, just soften and just feel the sadness, feel the pain. Feel whatever there is to feel inside of you. Let it wash through you and recognize wholeheartedly that it isn't about the person in front of you because it isn't. You had said, um, simplicity, we are divine, everyone is divine, and we are long for the ride. I want to talk a little bit about the idea of predetermination and um, sort of whose plan it is and can we change it midstream. Once we're in this place where we have discovered our soul signature and we are living authentically, maybe not 100%, but let's say 99.9. People might sort of think, well, what, then what? You know, do I just, is everything predetermined and I'm just, you know, riding down the river or can I um, put in my two cents about where I'd like to go? Um, What part of you needs to put your two cents in? That's what I'm asking. I'm asking you. So 
in that space are you just your your inner sense would be guiding you thank you so then at that point you wouldn't need to put your two cents in because you just step into a natural synchronistic flow that would take you to places that you couldn't even imagine in your own mind the irony of this is that in order to fully be in control we have to give up the false notion of control and we have to realize that in truth we're living our soul's agenda and our soul's agenda is love and ultimately that that is promotion and increase and that when we can forgo our personal wants and needs and we can step into this flow i mean things start happening that you can't i mean there's no way in a million years quite honestly that at 35 years old i should be where i am having experienced the experiences that i've had having met the people that i've met um having encountered just the wonderful moments of bliss and serenity and moments of profound humanity that i've experienced with other human beings why and why so, not panache well because because it's 100% improbable on the level of the mind but it's 100% possible point of view on all right that's what i was soul, after right i could have never for example like when i was 15 if if when i was 15 if you had told me at 35 i was going to meet oprah and maria shriver and you know world leaders and you, you know you name it everybody everyone that i've always wanted to meet people that are really making a profound difference in this world i wouldn't have believed you however that was my soul's agenda and that was my destiny and quite honestly it was a destiny that you can't avoid and believe me i've tried and so the more i look at reality and the more i look at reality unfolding the only explanation that makes sense to me is predetermination because for me everything in my life has been 100% improbable There is no way mathematically that me coming from London um at such a young age you know having had the life experiences that I've had would be experiencing the things that I'm experiencing now it's only because I've been willing to forgo my own personal individualized agenda and follow the agenda of my soul that everything has happened in the way that it has I mean I've met everybody I mean like last weekend I was with Gary Zukav and Neil Donald Walsh and they're like my brothers i love them you know and this is my life so right so willing to let go of what may have or may have not made sense or seemed logical and we're quote unquote the facts and go with something so much bigger as to what can happen and i think ultimately we don't have a choice anymore you know it's you get to a point where you start asking the question now what because you're so firmly anchored in wherever you are that there is no other now what to even consider and that then from that place you you magnetize everything into your life in the most powerful way literally i mean and this has been demonstrated so powerfully in india people would embody oneness or unity consciousness so powerfully it's sitting still the village this obscure village in the middle of nowhere and they would just have the courage to be who they are and embody this state and people would flock from every corner of the globe to come and see these people no website no email list nothing so what was it that was bringing people to them it was their willingness to live their soul signature it was their willingness to live in the truth of who they and are so when you say predetermined what you're meaning is predetermined by our soul signature that our soul created prior to our being in these physical bodies yeah predetermined by us but what i mean by us is the deepest part of who we right, are right 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 and right. and that's and that's in truth that's what makes it fun because if we were actually to be aware of every twist and turn i mean it would just ruin the experience wouldn't it like if you know so you know i don't want to know what's going to happen for me there is no what's next it's just i'm so profoundly happy 
to be where I am now, you know, and just to be experiencing what I'm experiencing, that what's next isn't even um, a topic of discussion. And, and that's the difference, you know. Our ego comes from incompletion. It's only ever our ego that needs to know, you know. And, and our ego is not wrong. It's not, you know, it's just that fearful part of us that doesn't trust in life. And Our soul fully trusts in life. Let's talk about that a little bit too, because yeah. back in the the 70s and the Be Here Now and the um, focus sort of on new psychologies, looking at that, there was also a real movement for going beyond ego and sort of mm -hmm. an eagerness for transcendence. And mm -hmm. we are in physical bodies. And I know myself personally, I'm, I'm enjoying the ride. I'm not eager to transcend and, until I've done some more here. Um, and you in your book talk about not uh, making the ego the bad guy. Can you talk a little I, bit about that? Because it's a, a unique take. Yeah, because there's nothing wrong with the ego. You know, again, it's like if every part of us is serving a purpose and there's a blessing, then so is the ego. Now, when I examine the ego consciously, what I see is, it allows us to individuate who we are. In the absence of the ego, we'd all be walking around like zombies drooling down one side of our face. Quite honestly, embodying a state for the most part that's non-functional. And so our ego allows us to express divinity and allows us to express our experience uniquely in a way that nobody else can. And so it needs to be embraced. In truth, what our identity really wants, what our ego really wants is a hug. In that moment, it's seen it's heard, it's felt, we know it's there, we acknowledge it as a part of our experience, we understand it's not the totality of our experience, but we understand it as a lens through which we get to view the world, and the more we embrace what's there, and the more we get to the pain that's underneath it, the more it become, becomes an ally in our greater evolution, literally, it becomes translucent and transparent, because there's no weight or heaviness or density in, in there anymore that's perpetuating this separation between the soul and the identity. At that point, there's a complete alignment. There's a complete alignment that happens. So I love my ego, and I would wholeheartedly encourage everyone to love theirs, because I think that you're right. You know, most people have developed this um, egoic need for transcendence. And for me, transcendence is just a cop-out. It's not about transcending. It's about being fully human and being fully embodied and experiencing everything there is to experience as a part of being human. That's the whole point of being here. Uh, why on earth would you come to planet Earth? It's like going to the theme park and not riding the roller coasters. Don't go to the theme park. You know, this is why we come here, to be angry, to be sad, to experience brokenheartedness, to experience loss and grief. This is the only place where we can. So at that point, it would behoove us to relax and to experience whatever is arising and subsiding here every moment and recognize that our ego is our ally and our friend. It's not our enemy. The, the, the new thought term, and I can't stand this new, talk, new thought term because it's just the, to me it's the, um, the epitome of human arrogance. Um, ego has been redefined as edging God out. Well, to me that's absolutely stupid. How can you edge, how can you edge an omnipresent, all-pervasive, the source of all creation out of your life? It's not possible. So by that very definition then, ego in and of itself is also divine. And it needs to be embraced and accepted as a part of divine, as a part of God. It's impossible to edge God out. That is a misnomer. That is a that is a unconsciously um, articulated statement 
that tries to allude to the inadequacy of an infinite presence that is present in all things. I always think about that when I look at many of our traditional religions and you think, okay, if you've got a being that's all powerful and omnipresent, is he really going to be vengeful and petty? And... Mm. But we won't go there. We can go there because <laughs> those are actually human characteristics. You see, because the soul's the, the only expression or the divine's only expression is love. So then all of those are human interpretations man-made interpretations. None of them are rooted in the truth. Because in essence, the core essence of every religion and every teaching is that God is love. And that who we are at our core is love. And that's what we're hardwired for. That's why we're struggling so much. That's why so many people are committing suicide and we're so, um, you know, we're so numbed as a society. You know, we're just taking prescription pill after prescription pill. Or, you know, or we're just engaging in one addictive pattern and behavior after another. Well, why is that? Because we are no longer being who we naturally are. And when we're not being who we naturally are, it's too painful. And we then have to develop coping mechanisms and strategies to, to mask the fact that we are not living an authentic life and we're not living an authentic expression. And that's why we've gotten to where we've gotten to. But we're also now at the tipping point where it's almost becoming too painful and all of those things that we used to do aren't even working anymore. You know, it's like that, that glass of wine, that third glass of wine that you used to have isn't even working anymore. The drugs that you used to do seemingly don't work anymore. It's like everything that you're trying to do to avoid being who you are and to avoid feeling the pain isn't working anymore. Because naturally humanity is evolving. This evolution is a done deal. There's nothing that anyone can do to stop it. And we have to go through this integration and this embracing of our humanity in order to get, get to the next evolutionary threshold which is transparency, luminosity, the conscious recognition that we're all the same. We're all one. So let's talk about the paradigm shift. You've mentioned it a couple times in our talk so far, and it seems that many spiritual leaders and practitioners, you hear again and again, the time is now. Um, what is the relationship of, of inner peace to the collective energy? One human being who has the ability to fully embody inner peace has the ability to fully offset the pain and suffering of all of humanity. So every single one of us right now, the more we can start to become peaceful and the more we can start to accept and embrace who we are, the more within three generations we'll have made rape, famine, suffering, war, all of these things that we're seeing playing out now a thing of the past to the point where they won't even believe that these things used to happen on planet Earth. In the same way that we can't believe that cavemen used to go out and whack women over the head with their, you know, their club and drag them into the cave in order to mate with them. So, you know, just as we've evolved out of that behavior, we're going to evolve out of this. And so it, it's, it's, it's up to us now to consciously start to embrace who we are and to consciously meet every aspect of who we are with acceptance and with compassion. Because the more we do that, the more literally the world shifts and all of these atrocities and all of these things that sometimes we use to invalidate the perfection of what's unfolding will begin to spontaneously come to a conclusion. And I would dare to say a rapid conclusion. So please start accepting and embracing who you are because maybe you're the one that I've been waiting for my whole life. Maybe you're the one. 
We've gone almost an hour. We've taken no breaks. So I just want to wrap up with Panache. In your book, you describe mystics and great spiritual leaders create new lines of connectivity between people and God. They discover new paradigms through their own yearnings and experience, and in so doing, they forge new and revelatory pathways for others. Is this what you do? Yeah, somehow. Yeah, just my willingness to be myself is opening up a new pathway for people in 2014 through which they can really come to a place of acceptance and self-love and recognize that that is really what they are yearning for and that's really what they're looking for because that then will in turn inform their health, inform their finances, inform their relationships and that in turn will transform the world. So I wholeheartedly believe that that's why I'm here and I wholeheartedly believe that that's why everyone who's listening to this interview is here because they have a part to play in this otherwise they wouldn't be listening to these words. And you're having a heck of a lot of fun doing it as well. I am. You know, I'm a... I, I'm it's a, okay, right? We can be spiritual and we can have fun. Of course. You know, I, I have so much fun. And um, and my greatest joy right now is just watching my, my baby girls grow up every day and just delighting in their curiosity and delighting in their stubbornness and delighting in their... Uh, cheekiness and delighting in their joyfulness and delighting in all these developmental phases that they're going through and just observing them as the future, as the next generation, as the next paradigm. And um, personally, you know, joy is a spontaneous internal bubbling up that happens when we're in peace and in harmony with what's happening around us. And I wholeheartedly believe that that's something that we can experience all the time. And so for me, um, you know, it's always and peaceful on the inside, but it's always a party on the outside. You say you're living in a reality in which everything wants you to win, to have greater abundance, to navigate your life with ease and grace. Trust this. That's right. Okay, I definitely see T-shirts and wristbands in our future that says, "The divine's got my six. Yes, exactly. The and divine's got you everything, and only wants us to have more. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Panache. Thank you, sweetheart. It's been an absolute pleasure being here with you and um, my love to everyone that's listening to this from around the world. And, and right back at you. This is Ellie Newman on its relationship, KDPI 89.3 FM, catch em. So when World War Three starts, I can look back and know what I was thinking. I was thinking, wouldn't it be nice if I could have all the people I love the most in my life?